invite you to turn with me uh, to the book of Exodus, chapter 35 and portions of chapter 36. Uh, the sermon theme for this morning is looking at the tabernacle uh, from our Old Testament scriptures. We are transitioning in our sermons uh, from the book of Acts to uh, earlier books in the Bible, uh, and later we'll be getting into Joshua and Judges a little bit. But it's a good transition point because we have to think about what was God doing uh, through the book of Acts, you know, when we have the, the, from Pentecost and the preaching of God's word to miracles and mission. What was God doing? Well, he was building a house for his name, a house for his name to dwell that would, would encompass all regions of the earth, a house not constructed of walls but of living stones, of followers of Jesus Christ from every uh, tribe, tongue, and nation. So God's aim uh, for creation uh, remained the same from beginning to end here. Uh, from, from the garden, and as we'll see today in the tabernacle, through the creation and entrance of the temple there, God is making a house for his name, where he dwells, where heaven and earth uh, converge. A dwelling place for God and man from the first word of creation. When Jesus ascended, he ascended as the true and final house of God. And then he tasked his, his followers to be builders of his house, to work in the power of his spirit. Now, the foundations for the book of Acts with God building his house, that, the foundation for that story actually is here in the book of Exodus, chapters 35 and 36, to which we turn to this morning to bolster our purpose, that, that we as followers of Jesus Christ are building a house for God's name. Uh, to that end, will you pray with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you have given us your word, which is living and active. We pray now that our ears would be open, our hearts would be softened, uh, that we might receive that which you have for us, and that we might be conformed more into the image of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. So in Exodus 35 and 36, now what we see from, from Scripture is that all of creation shows forth the glory of God. Poets write things like this. They say the world, the world is charged with the grandeur of God. It flames out like shining from shook foil. The psalmist says something similar. The heavens declare the glory of God, encouraging. Let the seas roar. Let the fields exult. Then shall all the trees and the forest sing for joy. The creation is showing forth the glory of God. And see, that's because creation is a house for God's name to dwell in from which God's name is honored and glorified in all of its parts. The end for which God created was to make manifest his glory in field and tree, in earth and in sea. God is building a house for his name. And we who bear his image, we reflect that glory by joining it in the work of building that house, of beautifying that house, of glorifying that house, his world. We are sub-creators in his grace, building a house for God's name. That's how I want us to view ourselves in relationship to this passage. As followers of Jesus, we are called in Christ to build 
and beautify and glorify a house for God's name. This is what Moses, or what God is calling his people to through Moses. If you look at chapter 36, verse 1, Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. The sanctuary is a house for God's name. Uh, near the end of Exodus, we'll touch on a little bit of it. It's kind of boring reading, so we're not going to walk through all of it. But we see the construction of things that God had just commanded to be made. So the next few chapters, God, God's people are making all of these things. They're building a tent, a tabernacle, a house in which God's name will dwell, in which God's people can dwell with God. A sanctuary. It's the place of, of rest for these people who have been freed from slavery. It's the, the house or the tent for communion after isolation. It's the place where heaven converges with earth. It's where God dwells in peace with his people. Sanctuary, the place of shalom, the place of peace. See, a people who had known slavery for centuries, who had known suffering, who had known fear, are set free. And why did Moses tell, the, tell Pharaoh that they were to be set free? Why? So that God's people could feast with the living God. In the wilderness. And it is in the wilderness where God commands the building up of his house, a house where his name would dwell. So, okay, back to chapter 35, uh, beginning at verse 30. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the spirit of God, with skill and intelligence, with knowledge and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze and cutting stones for setting and in carving wood and for every skilled craft. See, the Spirit is building God's house according to the Word of God. The Spirit is building God's house. As we enter this section of the Bible, it's good to remember what's happened so far is that God has freed His people Israel from Egyptian slavery. Remember the many plagues that he plagued Egypt with in defeating them. He parts the Red Sea, and in those activities, actions of God, Israel's enemies are defeated. They ascend into the wilderness, then Moses ascends Mount Sinai, and he receives there God's word. And though the people of God prove unfaithful, God speaks still, God forgives, and God leads them. Ten commandments or ten words are given, as well as a book of, of God's law is given. The exact design for the tabernacle is given to God's people. The dimensions and materials for God's house is laid out very clearly for them. As we walk through the book of Exodus in that manner, we see right as our chapter begins in, in chapter 35, God commands rest. He talks about Sabbath rest. So what we have from the, from the beginning of the book of Exodus to right here is that God has been working. He's been building a new, a new people, a new place, a new house. He's creating a new world for his house to dwell in. And then as we enter chapter 35, we see that he enters, as it were, a day seven. He commands rest. God rests from his work, from his labor. The instructions for Bezalel and for God's people to, be, to build the house, they're now to be followed. It's like there's a new week beginning here. 
And this time, man is to begin the work that which God has commanded, following God's rest. God's image bearers do well to follow this pattern in imitation of God. Uh, he, we work out faith and obedience, setting aside time to rest in his presence. Are we a people who enjoy the rest that God has gifted us with? Moses instructs after this Sabbath uh, laws here and recommend regulations there. Moses then instructs him. He basically says, hey, it's time to get to work. Verse 30 again. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, see, the Lord is called by name Bezalel. And he's saying, get to work. The name Bezalel. Not too many folks have named their kids Bezalel for a while. But if you do, just know you probably have a construction worker on hand. That's his name means something like God's shelter, God's shadow, God's protection. It's quite fitting for an overseer of this project. And make note which tribe he comes from. Do you see that? Which tribe he comes from? The tribe of Judah. And we know that the tribe of Judah, well, that, that's a kingly tribe, isn't it? And the kings are temple builders, tabernacle builders, like King Solomon building the temple later. We have here, before kings ascend the throne for Israel, we have kingly roles being accomplished. Bezalel is a type of, of a kingly figure, and the people join in in the construction of the tabernacle of God's house, which means that they are functioning like kings and queens. Now, if you've read the Narnia books, you know that, 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 that the Osseus Lewis captures this well. These children that enter this Narnian world are referred to as kings and queens. Kings and queens. We who follow Jesus Christ are given that same command given to Adam and Eve to take holy dominion of all of creation. And as we do that faithfully, we inhabit roles that are kingly, that are queenly. We are builders of God's house as we take hold of creation, as we glorify it as we beautify it, which seems pretty mundane. We can watch YouTube, right? I'm YouTube certified auto mechanic. I have a t-shirt to prove it. It seems like a very simple task to build. It's a big tent. It's a good tent, but it's just a mundane task. But see, this is, this is a spirit, an act of the spirit, that building God's house is a spiritual or supernatural work that God fills Bezalel with this, his spirit. He says in verse 31 that God has filled him with the spirit of God, with all skill and intelligence and knowledge, all craftsmanship. Why was he filled with the spirit of God? Well, he was filled with this God's spirit for, to acquire skill and intelligence and knowledge, craftsmanship. Is this what we think of as the work of the spirit? But this is exactly what God is saying to his people through Moses. Moses is saying, God has put his spirit in Bezalel to build a house for my name. God's spirit, God's breath forms the things that are to be used in the building up of his house. I think it's a way for us to see the work of the spirit in a different way maybe. The work of the spirit is to enliven people to build a house for God's name. Whether it would be Samson who the, the spirit rushes upon so that he defeats the enemies. Or think of King David, the spirit rushed upon him to prophesy or, or to, to give calming music. All the way to the apostles in the upper room at, at Pentecost. Why is the spirit given? It is given to enliven and empower a consecrated people for the building of God's house. From Pentecost on, we see the body of Christ being built up 
and established, being rooted in Christ, to be living stones built up as a holy temple in which people can enter into to dwell or to meet with the living God. We, the people of Christ, are to be a house in which God's name dwells. Verse 34 and 35, And he has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver, by a designer, by an embroiderer, in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, or by a weaver or any sort of workman or skilled designers. These are the people that God has filled with the Spirit to build his house. God's people are building God's house in the power of the Spirit. The God who created all things could certainly have spoken a tent or a tabernacle into existence. Don't you think that would have been very simple? Just, hey, I need a tabernacle. Boom, there's a tabernacle. He did that for all of creation. But what does he do instead is he invites his people in. He loves his people. He gifts them with tasks of transforming created goods into a house for his own name. And it takes place in the midst of a wilderness. It's a great image for the various roles of our own vocations, the, the roles that we, we fulfill every day. How are we to, to fit our lives into the, the big picture of what God is doing in the world? I think this gives us a picture that says, well, our tasks, our roles, vocations are in many ways directly tied to the constructing, the building up, the glorifying, the beautifying of God's house. Whether it's caring for little ones at home or creating digital content, diagnosing diseases, educating hearts and minds, beginning a small business, diving into missions. Whatever our hands find to do, we do it with all our might as pleasing to our Heavenly Father. Why? Because all of this, all that we are, all that we do is His. It's given from His good and gracious hands. All that we have is ours to use and to enjoy. Our vocations are simply a different form of, of taking hold of created things and thanking God for them and then, then breaking them down to transform them into something new, something more beautiful, something more glorious. And we give them back to God to be given for the life of the world. Here we see different fixtures and curtains and posts being made for God's house. But I think our vocations, our roles, our very lives are a similar image here. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Our labors are not in vain because they build a house for God's name. Bezalel and Aholiab here, they apprentice understudies. That's what those verses are saying. They're, 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 this is where disciples are made, apprentices of, of every sort of work here. There's bronze work. There's silver and gold. They're crafted into different zones of the tabernacle. Each zone, as they get closer to God, uses a more glorious image from bronze to silver to gold. See, God's presence is constructed, or the temple, the house is constructed. That as you get closer, near to God's presence, it is more beautiful, more glorious, more exalted. There are colored curtains and, and cloths that are woven with cherubim. And they're neatly assembled so that it looks like there's heavens above and heavens below. There are angels surrounding uh, the, the, the tabernacle. The, 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 it's another whole creation here. It, uh, with eyes to see, ears to hear this word. What you would see when you walk into the tabernacle is a representation of, of, of the earth. 
heavens above and the labor sea below. The heavenly lights of the lampstand are kept burning by a holy oil, God's liquid light. Bread on the show table is an example of man taking hold of God's creation and, and glorifying it in the making of bread. It's a commission here, a making of disciples, which is an inviting others into the building up of God's house. See, the tabernacle is a symbol for the entire earth because all of earth is God's house. And here we have it, if you will, in miniature form. Now, I don't have space to show that completely this morning, but a careful reading of the text will show us that the tabernacle is a kind of earth, a world, that God is giving Israel a portable sanctuary, which represents the whole world, God's house. The entire earth is encapsulated in tabernacle form. See, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein, and he fills the tabernacle as it's constructed. He fills the temple when it's constructed. But not only does it symbolize the whole earth, but, but it also symbolizes God's people. It is seen most clearly as we would walk through the priestly uh, garments, and we could see how they were constructed. The different gems are represented in the different tribes, the different people. What we see is that God's house, the house for his name, it's, it's, it's represented by curtains and posts and medals and things. But what this really is, is, is even that is a symbol of a living tabernacle, a living temple made up of living stones who are the people of God. We who are in Christ are a new tabernacle here, children of the true tabernacle, a sanctuary in the wilderness for a world in sin. Our world needs a sanctuary freed from slavery to meet and dwell with God in peace and to feast with him. God commands the building of a house for his name. It is built by the Spirit's power according to the work of God's people. And the building of the house goes on. We read in here about people contributing and contributing until they have more than they need. So verse 4 of chapter 36. All the craftsmen that were doing every sort of work or task on the sanctuary came, each from the task he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for the doing of the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command. Word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work. All were contributing materials throughout. As you read these passages, we see all were contributing in some way to the building up of God's house. Many were crafting and constructing. And in the end, the tabernacle here was, would be built and inhabited by God, exactly as God commanded. Now, people were so zealous to dwell peacefully with God that there was an overabundance of resources given. Each contributed generously so that posts could be could be made. Curtains could stand and cover. Metals could form the wash basin, the altar, the show table, the lampstand, the Ark of the Covenant. But that kind of construction would certainly be completed someday, right? It would come to an end, more than enough they had already here. The work would be done one day. However, the work of building a house, of glorifying a house for God's name will go on and on. See, the work they were doing in building this tabernacle was symbolic for the work they were to do in the world. They are to receive from God his good gifts in creation. Receive these gifts with gratitude. 
to take hold of the things which God gives. After giving thanks, then what? To, to break them. And then to remake them into new items, new activities given for the good of God's people and for the glory of God. So we have from sheep to wool to curtains to embroidery to table covering, tabernacle coverings. Even the making of precious jewelry, right? That's already created from raw material. Some of them were melted down in order to make the, 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 the different instruments in the tabernacle, transforming something beautiful into something even more beautiful, more glorious. Now, I think that describes well our lives in serving God and inhabiting His world, inhabiting His house. All I really hope to have us see in this passage is that as Israel was called to build a house for God's name, so we are called to build, to beautify, and to glorify a house for His name as well. Which, like the tabernacle which would move around, we too will go out to the nations and like the temple, we will draw nations in to dwell with the living God. See, it can be a very difficult thing to find purpose and meaning in our daily life. But I want to assure us that as followers of Jesus, our lives, our vocations, we have meaning much larger than just the day-to-day, the mundane. Our efforts are building a house, are beautifying a house, are glorifying a house for God's name. And in Christ, with other believers, we are being built up, established in Christ. We ourselves become a house for his name, which is above all other names, a house which goes out into the nations and draws the nations to God. So we begin now to imagine all of our life as a construction project, where worship is a strengthening of the foundation for God's house. Rooted in Christ, we are in worship taken hold of by the Spirit of God. In gratitude, Christ thanks God for who we are. And we are laid low through our service to Him in worship. We are torn apart in our confession of sin. And we are remade as God speaks to us. We are remade in the image of that living Word who is Jesus Christ. We are then blessed in the receiving of God's word as we sit at his table to dine together in his presence peacefully, blessed in his grace, mercy, and love. And then we ourselves, broken, now remade in the image of Christ, are then sent out, given for the life of the world. And therefore, evangelism and discipleship, it's, it's much more than expanding walls or territory here. It's a building up of God's house in unreached places. We live... Even in our areas, Hastings, Kearney, Grand Island, these towns, over 70% are unchurched. A people building a name for themselves, and we know what it's like to try to build a name for ourselves, don't we? But we're calling one another, we're calling those outside of the church to submit our lives and talents to the building of God's house in our midst and throughout the world. I mean, if we're honest, our daily lives appear quite mundane. But the scriptures promises that our lives are very, in the very mundane of them, they're charged with the glory of God. Because we dwell in and with the spirit of God, who helps build a house for God's name. It's like that poet who I began the, 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 the sermon with, who speaks of God's grandeur. He ends with that same thing. He says, because the Holy Spirit over the world bent broods with warm breast and with awe, bright wings. He speaks of the, the Spirit of God charging all of creation with the glory of God. 
See, Jesus Christ has come as the true and the final Bezalel, a spirit-anointed builder of God's house who has himself become the house for God's name, the true temple, the true tabernacle, the final garden, the place where God and man dwell together in peace. All who are in Jesus Christ, therefore, image him as little little Bezalels and Aholiabs, using our time, talents, and energy to build God's house in whatever capacity he has called us to. And we work in the power of the Spirit. See, the true tabernacle has come. And not only are we invited to dwell with God in that place, we're called to beautify it, to glorify it, and to call others to share in that peace. So as you depart this place as priestly kings, called to build, called to serve in God's house, may the Lord bless our endeavors and our efforts for his glory, for the good of his church, and for the life of the world. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have called us unto yourself and that you have built a house for your name. I pray, O Lord, that you would lead and guide us as we come alongside you by your Spirit. Grant us wisdom to know how to live our lives in a way that is pleasing and honoring to you and that would be attractive to others who would come to find hope, rest, and peace in you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.